paper, maybe write, down, write this down, but otherwise just think about it in your head. But think about a, some descriptors of what makes you who you are. How do people describe you? Or how have they described you in the past? Just think about that for a minute. Maybe the descriptors are positive. Maybe they're not so positive. Maybe there are things about you that you really love. Maybe there are things about you that you don't love so much. See, see here's what happens when we think about identity. As humans, our identity comes from outside of us. As much as the pop psychologists would like to say, search within, be the real you, uh, you know, uh, find yourself. The reality is, as humans, we're actually designed to find our identity outside of ourselves. In the same way that it's impossible for you to hear your voice accurately inside your head, and so when you hear your voice on a recording, you're like, oh, is that me? And it's impossible for you to see yourself accurately without a mirror. So it's impossible to truly know yourself without the input of others. But here's what tends to happen. We're born into a fallen, broken world. And so our peers, our parents authority figures, friends, they tend to label us. They tend to give us feedback about who we are. And one of maybe three or four things happens. They either label us negatively, and we embrace those labels, and they become self-fulfilling prophecies, so you're too thin, you're too fat, you're too dumb, you're too smart, you're too fast, you're too slow, you're too something. Or they label, they label us positively and we really embrace those labels and then we become kind of narcissistic and arrogant and entitled. Right? Or what can also happen is they label us positively and we reject those labels because deep in our hearts, we know that they're not true. We know we're not as good as people have said that we are. And then we're terrified of being found out. But any way you look at it, it's almost impossible to grow up with a positive sense of identity. Why? Because the people around us aren't perfect. And so they can't give us a truly objective view of who we are. So with that in mind, let's go to God's word. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. And he says some stuff at the beginning, but we'll pick it up in, in uh, verse 3. Where he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to tell us some things that this God has done. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
even as he chose us in him, that is, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Who's the beloved? Jesus. Jesus. Yep. So here we see that God does three things uh, in terms of our identity. He has given us a new identity. Whatever labels you grew up with, whatever labels you've adopted or rejected or struggled with, God has given you a new identity if you have believed in Jesus Christ. And, and Paul tells us three things about that identity. The first is this. You are blessed. You are blessed. How can you live above the labels? And that's the real title of the sermon, Live Above the Labels, for the two people who are taking notes. Live above the labels. How can you live above the labels? Number one, by understanding and embracing that you are blessed. When you say, John, I don't feel blessed. My job doesn't make me feel blessed. I barely make enough money to cover the bills. Maybe I don't make enough money to cover the bills. COVID certainly doesn't make me feel blessed. I've got difficult relationships in my life. I struggle with physical issues. I struggle with my memory. I'm getting older. My body isn't doing what it should be doing. And on and on and on and on. I don't feel blessed. But what does he say here? He's blessed us in Christ. The blessings are in Christ. So Paul says that when God saved us, he put us in Christ. We are in Christ. And so that's how, when Jesus died on the cross, because we were put in Christ, our sins were paid for in Christ on the cross. And someday we will be raised from the dead with Christ. So we are in Christ. So the blessings are in Christ. So here are my sermon notes. Well, let's do this a different way. Does anybody have some money? Actual cash money? Uh, you got a, anybody have a hundred dollar bill? A fifty? A twenty? You have a twenty? Okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and bring it up here. A, a $20 bill. Oh, wait, we got a $100 bill. Here we go, a $100 bill. I hope you're tithing, brother. $100 bill, right? So I'm going to put this $100 bill in my Bible. And now this is actually a relatively new Bible my wife bought for me. It's kind of nice. So I, I'm just going to pretend to do some things to it. If I drop the Bible on the floor, what happens to the $100 bill? Well, it gets dropped on the floor, right? If I throw the Bible up into the cheap, seat, cheap seats, what, assuming that you know everything doesn't go flying, what happens to the dollar bill? It goes with it. It, it, it could go on the floor, but that would ruin the illustration. If I give the, the Bible to Matt, what happens to the dollar bill? He gets to spend it, right? 
Yeah, the $100 bill goes to him. Whatever happens to the Bible happens to the $100 bill, right? Okay, so if we, so that's, that's because the $100 bill is in the Bible. Um, so if we are in Christ, uh, would you like that back? So if we are in Christ, in the same way that the $100 bill in the Bible goes wherever the Bible goes, whatever happens to the Bible happens to the $100 bill. If we're in Christ, whatever happens to Christ happens to us. Is Christ blessed? Well, yeah. Therefore, are we blessed? Yes. But look at what it says. It says, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. How many blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Any blessings left out? No blessings left out. But what kind of blessings are they? Spiritual blessings. So you're saying, I don't feel blessed because I don't have money, I don't have a nice house, I don't have a nice car, I don't have a good job, I don't have good friends, I don't have a good family. Okay. But do you have Jesus? And see, here's the thing. Spiritual blessings impact the physical world. But physical blessings don't impact the spiritual world. At least not as much. So if you are blessed spiritually, that can impact every part of your life. Paul says elsewhere, he says, um, these bodies are, are dying, they're decaying. They're going from bad to worse. But our spirits, our souls, are being renewed day by day. In the spirit realm, we can pray, we can access the God who created heaven and earth, who created our bodies, who allows whatever it is that we're going through. We can access the power that is greater than any other power in the world. That's a spiritual blessing. And we'll look at some other spiritual blessings. In fact, I gave a handout that, that shows a, a bunch of um, ways that God talks about our identity in Christ. We're protected, we're renewed, we're strengthened, we're, and it goes on and on. And this is just you know, what I came up with, kind of off the top of my head. The Bible's full of these kinds of truths. You have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... Every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms just means the spiritual realm, right? And those are worth way more than physical blessings. Honestly, if I had to choose between being very sick and having spiritual blessings, I would pick spiritual blessings every time. If I had to choose between grief and suffering in this world for spiritual blessings, I would pick spiritual blessings every time because spiritual blessings impact my life today and my life for all eternity. You are blessed beyond measure. If you could get a hold 
of these blessings in your mind and appropriate them and live as if this were true, you'd be unstoppable. Now, as Daniel said earlier, it doesn't mean you can just do anything you want, have anything you want, be successful at anything you want. I will never be able to take on LeBron James one-on-one and beat him. But in terms of doing what God wants me to do, being on mission with him, impacting lives, you are blessed. So the next time you feel like life is taking a piece of your marshmallow, do what the old song says. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And I noticed that this morning there's no one here that is lacking shoes. None of you look emaciated from lack of food. If you have a food shortage problem, do let somebody in the church know. But none of us look like we, you know, are suffering in the basics of what we need to survive. Those are blessings too. I drove here in a car. The fact that it's a 19, no, 2000. Toyota Camry has hardly ever had any problems in those years that's a blessing the fact that it's kind of rusting now and you know lists to the left a little bit and it doesn't change the fact that it's a blessing I didn't have to take a bus to an L to a bus and then walk down Dana it's a blessing you are blessed. Number two. Number two, you are blessed. Verse four says, even as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So what did he do? He blessed us, and then what did he do? He chose us. You are chosen. How many of you growing up were the first to be picked for every team? None of you? For every team, like at recess, you know, you're going to play dodgeball and they're picking teams. You were always the first one chosen. Well, this doesn't apply to you. You can just kind of take a break. No, I'm just kidding. Most of us were not the first one picked every time, right? So we would play touch football. We would play tackle football, but that was against the rules. So we would pretend like it was touch football and just push really hard. And every time... um, Every time we would play touch football, we would make teams up. And I would always be one of the last people chosen because I'm slow. And I didn't always carry this much weight, but I have a a, a genetic, I call it a disorder, um, but it's not truly a disorder. It's just that my, my legs are really short. So I'm six feet one, and my inseam is the same as my wife's, and some of you have met my wife, She's five feet four, and she'll say, and three quarters. And so I've got these little short legs, you know, so I have to run like two steps for every one that everybody else, so I'm slow, right? So I'd always get chosen last, but I can catch any ball thrown to me within about 20 feet. 
right? I, I had, well, I should say had instead of have. I had great hands, I could catch, and I couldn't figure out why people would never choose me. But that became a label in my life. Unchosen, unwanted, last. How do you live above that label? One of the ways is recognizing that whoever does the choosing on earth, there's someone on the throne of heaven who, before he even created anything, knew he would create you and chose you to be his own. God himself chose you. God himself. And why did he choose you? Well, look at the verse. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That, and the word that is often a purpose statement, right? Why? So that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now that sounds like a lot of pressure to be holy and blameless. Holy means set apart. Uh, and blameless means without blame. But notice he doesn't say that you should be, that you should earn, that you should live up to. It says, it says what? That we should be holy, not that we should act holy, that we should become holy, that we should be holy. Holy and blameless is our destination. It's not a command to be holy and blameless. Because you can't make yourself holy and blameless. As, as people who believe in Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus is the one who makes us holy and blameless. Right? Otherwise, what was the cross all about? See, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, God in the human body, and he lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived holy and blameless. And Paul says elsewhere, the life that he lived was for us because the one who knew no sin then became sin on the cross. And he took our punishment. The way we act, what we deserve is the cross. Right? We have lust in our hearts. We have anger in our hearts. We have violence in our hearts. We have greed in our hearts. Oftentimes what's in our hearts comes out in our speech. It comes out in our actions. None of us even live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. But the one who knew no sin became sin so that we, the verse says, might become the righteousness of of God might become the righteousness of God. Wow. What does that mean that you are the righteousness of God? It means it means that you've become holy and blameless in God's sight. It means because you are in Jesus, because what happens to Jesus happens to you, all of your sin was dealt with on the cross and when Jesus was raised from the dead, you were given new life. In Christ, you've been chosen 
in Christ to be holy and blameless. That is your destiny. That is your destination. We won't fully experience that on this side of eternity. But we can begin to experience it more and more. And when we're raised from the dead, and when we meet Jesus face to face, forever and ever and ever, amen, we will experience and be holy and blameless. That is your identity. So, if that's what God is doing in your life, why don't we live according to that? Some of us are like like I was when I was a kid. We had a canoe, and we would go out on the Grand River in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, where I spent a lot of my growing up years. And we would paddle the canoe, and... Um, I loved to go upstream because you could never really get upstream, right? You, you, like the, the stream is flowing this way, the river's flowing this way, and the Grand River's pretty big in most places. It's got a good current. And so you're going along, and you're paddling hard and paddling hard, and you're looking at the bank, and, and you're not going anywhere, right? You're just not. It's a lot of work. It's not worth it. My dad used to get mad when I would be like, let's go upstream. He's like, no. Your mom's meeting us with the van to pick us up downstream because it's easier. But a lot of us live our lives that way. The stream of the Holy Spirit, the stream of God's work is going, as it's flowing this way toward holy and blameless. And we're trying as best we can to fight that, right? And we're choosing sin and rebellion and, and paddling against the, against the, the current. And life is hard that way. What we need to do is just surrender and say, Jesus, all right, holy and blameless. Ultimately, that will be so much more fulfilled, fulfilling than white-knuckling it, holding on to these silly sins that just weigh me down. Number three, you're chosen, you're blessed. Number three, you're adopted. Now, I've been praying that I can make this clear because this point, if we will get it, will blow our minds. And I, I, I confess, I don't think I have the language to communicate it in the way it deserves to be communicated. I'll do my best. I'll trust God to, um, to do what I can. But here it is. Adoption is maximum grace. So grace is when we get something we don't deserve, right? And so salvation is God's grace to us. We don't deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it. It's grace. Adoption is maximum grace. And what I mean is this. God could have saved us without adopting us. And if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been in the church, you've heard about, you know, we're children of God, and isn't that great? And, and some people even say, well, all people are children of God, which, okay, in some way, because we're all God's creation, we're all children of God, but in a very specific, very um, uh, definite way, those who believe in Jesus Christ are children of God. 
But he could have adopted us, or he could have saved us without making us his children. If you think about it, holy and blameless, there are beings that are holy and blameless that aren't God's children. Can you think of any? Angels, sure. There are angels who are holy and blameless and super powerful and will serve God for all of eternity in his presence. And they are not adopted by God. They are not God's children. They have a different relationship. But when God chose you, he chose you to be in his family. And here's what it says, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, as sons. Now, if you're a woman, don't get hung up on this as sons thing. But also, don't take the power out of that phrase by saying, well, sons and daughters. Because we're not adopted as sons and daughters. And I'll tell you why. Because in the Roman world, in the first century, when Paul wrote this, being adopted as a son had a specific kind of meaning that being adopted as a daughter couldn't mean. A Roman person could adopt a son and it would be it would always be an adult, an adult male to be his son. Now why would someone do that? Because he needed an heir. Because he needed someone to give his stuff to, to carry on his line, to carry on his name. So being adopted as a son meant to inherit his wealth, his provision, and to provide familial succession. So when Paul says adopted as sons, that's what he means. It doesn't really have anything to do with gender, except for the fact that in the Roman world, there was this specific meaning to it. And Paul is talking about all of that. So when God adopted you, whether you're male or female, he did it to give you the name, the familial rights, the inheritance, the position, and the power of Jesus Christ. Because you are in Christ, that is who you are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, Peter says. You are adopted. And God didn't have to do that. That's why I say it's maximum grace. There's like no reason for God to do that other than that he's crazy love. And over-the-top grace. Here's how Paul says it. According to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in Christ, in the beloved. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are adopted. Why is it as people that we have this, this resonance with the underdog, with the Cinderella story? You know, Cinderella, Rocky, Hunger Games, Star Wars, Goodwill Hunting, right? There, there's this theme of there's more to me than you realize. It's because eternity is in our hearts. It's because we are created for more. It's because every human was created to be adopted. 
that will happen, unfortunately, if we can choose to reject Christ. But that's why that stuff resonates with your heart, because it's true. That's who you are. That's who God made you to be. So when the world starts taking chunks out of your marshmallow soul, you can live above. You can live above the labels. And I believe God wants to heal the wounds that have been caused by mislabeling you. Listen to this. This is Psalm 68, 5 and 6. It says that God is father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Part of God being a father to the fatherless is he's a relabeler. Some of us had fathers who labeled us in ways that should never have happened. Some of us had good fathers, but we had peers who labeled us, or teachers who labeled us, or other authority figures who labeled us. And our Heavenly Father wants to heal us from the damage of those labels. So here I want to just take a few minutes here this morning, and and I want you uh, to to do something with me. I want you to think about one of the negative labels that you've been wearing. One of the negative labels that you struggle with. And now I want you to ask yourself, Can this label honestly be applied to Jesus? And if the answer is no, then it cannot be applied to you. The Father wants to remove that label from your soul. And it could be that right now in the next couple minutes, he's just going to do a miracle and bring some emotional healing in your life, and we're going to pray for that. It could also be that it will start today and happen over a period of time. And that doesn't make it any less God. But I'm going to pray. So I'm going to be tricky here, Daniel. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to talk some more, and then I'm going to pray again. Uh, no, communion after the second prayer. Yeah. All right, so, so let's just pray. Go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. And God, I just want to come before you with, with these friends and ask that you would move in a special way. And Lord, because we live in a fallen world, e- even people who are well-meaning assign labels to us that can be hurtful and harmful. And so, Lord, whatever that label is that each person identified that they've been wearing, that negative label, Heavenly Father, I ask that right now you would be a father to the fatherless. I ask, God, that you would show them 
who they are in Christ and how they have been given every spiritual blessing, how they have been chosen, how they've been redeemed, how they've been forgiven, how they've been adopted. And Lord, I pray that you would cause that label to just fall away. And Lord, we know that often these things take time. But Father, I pray that if it be your will, that you would do that, even just in an instant, and provide a new confidence and a new faith and a new joy where that label once was. Lord, we pray these things for your glory. Amen. So I want to encourage you as we leave here today, take the sheet that was given to you that has some elements of your identity in Christ and work through the labels that you've been wearing and, and contrast them with what the Bible says about your identity in Christ and ask yourself, is this actually true about me? Is this how God sees me? And I'll give you a quick example. Um, I'm ADHD and I grew up in the 70s and early 80s before ADHD was really much known about. So I was always the guy, the kid who didn't live up to his potential and the hyperactive kid that nobody understood and the super forgetful kid who couldn't remember what was assigned, what class to go to, where his locker was, you know, you name it, right? I was eventually diagnosed as an adult and I was like way off the charts, ADHD. And yet it still took a couple decades before I looked at my wife one day and I said, you know what? Forgetfulness is not a sin. I have been wearing the label of forgetful all my life and dealing with the guilt that came every time I would lose my car keys or forget where I put something or miss an appointment or and I didn't realize that's not a sin it's a challenge it's something I want to do better at but I don't need to wear that label as part of my identity You don't need to wear the labels that people have labeled you with. Ask God to show you who you are in Christ, and he'll do it. Lord, I pray that as we receive a fresh vision of who you've made us to be in Christ, that that wouldn't puff us up because it's all of your grace, but that it would give us energy and joy and uh, impetus to share your grace with the world. Because there are people in this town, in the cities where we live, in the suburbs, in the, the neighborhoods where we live, the places we work, who don't have that, who are still wearing all kinds of crazy labels because they aren't yet in Christ. And they need to be saved. And we pray that you would give us the opportunity to uh, lovingly and patiently present the gospel 
and that you would go before us and that people would begin to live without their labels and begin to live out of a new identity in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.